Chapter 24 Deconstructing Pilgrimages The online Camino started in the beautiful Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, right at the foot of the French Pyrenees. This time, there wasn't a small get-together at the starting point, and that was a good thing, because I wasn't there either. I started the walk many thousands of kilometers away. Every day, I walked the streets around my home and uploaded distances to a website. The process stayed trivial until the very end, but it also served as a constant reminder of the 17,000-kilometer gap between where I was taking the steps and where the pilgrimage was meant to occur. A few days in, I received an email from the organizers with an activity conversion list. It turns out that I could record time spent doing other pre-approved non-walking activities in the real world and then convert that effort into virtual kilometers, taking me ever closer to Santiago de Compostela. The list included an eclectic collection of seemingly unpilgrim-like activities, such as dancing and ping-pong. My favorite conversion activity was housework. If I'm honest, I was hoping I could reverse the conversion and exchange all of my 774 kilometers for its equivalent of over 200 hours of housekeeping, and then be exempted from that much of it in the real world. Sadly, my partner didn't buy it. While I didn't use any conversion, they led to an interesting question. Is walking a necessary requirement of a pilgrimage? If we can, as we mostly do, walk without it being a pilgrimage, could the converse also be true? I could hardly recognize myself. Not so long ago, I had been enraged by an ad promoting a virtual version of El Camino. A couple of days into it, I was taking pot shots at the very nature of pilgrimages. However, my heresy paid off in two ways. First, I now believe that it is in fact possible to do a pilgrimage without walking. This is encouraging news to those who have asked me how they too could benefit from a similar experience of a pilgrimage without the steps. More on this on chapter 32 of the written version of this book. Second, the intangibility of a pilgrimage and the physicality of the walk seem strikingly similar to the intangibility of work and the tangibility of tasks. Decoupling a pilgrimage from its walk set me up for attempting a similar challenge with work and its tasks. Two signposts emerged in quick succession. Signpost 25, work and tasks are different yet interconnected. And signposts 26, work is intangible, tasks are tangible. Along this line of thought, it became clear that both pilgrimages and work stand to lose a lot when we reduce them to their most common metrics, distance covered and its outputs. The ensuing signpost inevitably followed. Signpost 27. Work is more than its output. I was on a roll, and before I put my feet up for the day, another signpost came up. Signpost 28. The workplace could benefit from lessons derived from instances where work can't be done. The last signpost came out of the realization that our predominant view about work, and thereafter the workplace, comes from, wait for it, our ability to work. But are there lessons about work worth learning from instances in which work can't be done? Imagine this. It is 4.30 a.m. and you're awake and ready to go to work. You're starting the day early not because your commute is long nor to finish early and sneak in a gym session before dinner. No, you're up that early to spend as much time as you can working. If that sounds too keen or frankly unappealing, what if I also told you that you are not going to be paid for it? 
In fact, you will be trading objects for the privilege to work. Why? To have something to do. This is not the plot of a post-artificial intelligence dystopian novel about a jobless society in which technology replaces humans. This was a case documented by researchers almost three decades ago. This scenario happened in a prison where inmates would get up before dawn, exchange cigarettes, and negotiate privileges to be able to do a job for the sake of having something to do. The job in question was to feed the fish in the fish tank. Lessons from A State of Preclusion from Engagement in Occupations of Necessity and or Meaning Due to Factors that Stand Outside the Immediate Control of the Individual or Occupational Deprivation Environments, for short, would allow us to see work as more than a sum of its tasks. It could also help us design better places for when we do need to work.